Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded live from Grocery Shop Trade Show in Las Vegas on Monday, September 15th, 2019. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and unfortunately, Scott was unable to join us. So you're getting twice the Jason for half the cost. So that's a value in any case. Uh, but today we have a special value mm-hmm. because we've replaced Scott with a smart, the, the far smarter mm-hmm. um, April Carlisle, who's the VP of Shopper Marketing at the, well, let me get the title right because Scott teases me that I have a long, grandiose title and I feel like yours has as many words as mine. Is it actually longer than yours? I think it might be. Okay. Let's so see. April is VP Shopper Marketing National Retail Sales at Coca-Cola North America. Yes. You got it right. Exactly. And so I'm hoping you get paid by the word. <laughs> no, I get paid by the number of Cokes that I help sell. Uh, I feel like either one of those could be pretty lucrative. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I like it. Um, so there's probably no one listening to this podcast that's not familiar with a Coca-Cola company. Um, and yet, I have a feeling a lot of listeners don't fully appreciate the full scope of Coke. So can you give us the elevator pitch that we might not know about your brand? For sure. So our new positioning is Beverages for Life. So yes, we have amazing sparkling brands that you know and have known for 130 years. So Coca-Cola, Diet Coke, Sprite, Fanta, etc. But we also have an amazing uh, water uh, portfolio with Smart Water and Topo Chico and Vitamin Water and Dasani. And we are in the juice business with Minute Maid. We're in the tea business with Gold Peak and Peace Tea. We're in value-added dairy with uh, Fairlife. So we have pretty much any non-alcoholic beverage uh, need you may have. We probably have a brand that either is in our full portfolio or we have lots of brands that we're partnering with to see how they're going to do in the future. And so I... uh I know this from firsthand experience. When you come to visit you, you can cater to all needs. Everyone is well hydrated at every meeting. Yeah, that is true. Uh, we have free beverage uh, vending machines all over the building. In fact, we even have an app that tells you which um, particular SKUs are in each vending machine, so you can go find the beverage that's right for you. But having said all that, uh, you know, most people have eight glasses of uh, beverage a day, and we're only capturing one of the eight. So that's huge upside opportunity, and we're constantly looking for how can we uh, meet more of of our consumers' needs. That, uh, it's, it's great to have a, a broad TAMDO approach, and it kind of helps insulate you from antitrust issues. I like that. <laughs> uh, comes up a lot with Amazon these days. Um, so we were teasing in the opening about the title. Um, what the heck does a VP of Shopper Marketing do at Coke? Yeah, so we'll start with the basics. So um, if you aren't familiar with the world of shopper marketing, uh, it's a world that I've uh, actually helped pioneer uh, back in my days at Procter & Gamble, uh, but now is a very well-established um, uh, field of marketing. And what uh, different shop- 
differentiates shopper marketing versus traditional marketing is it's all marketing through the lens of a retailer. So how can we build brand equity for our brands and the retailers' brands and assets at the same time? So that is the purview of my work is leading shopper marketing for North America for the Coca-Cola company. So with that comes, uh, I have a team of 50 people and they're all based um, predominantly outside of Atlanta where our headquarters are uh, and they're based where our customers are. So I have a team in uh, Bentonville working with Walmart, a team in Minneapolis working with Target. And their day-in, day-out job is to take our um, programming and our uh, opportunities with our brands, looking at what the opportunities are to drive traffic and sales and category um, with our retail customers, and then how do we um, jointly develop marketing programs together. But we sit within sales, which is very important because uh, we uh, are serving as a multifunctional resource to build the overall sales of the team. And is it fair to say that um, unlike some other marketing disciplines, shopper marketing sits pretty well on the funnel. So your success criteria is usually pretty close to sales, is that? Or am I... You're, you're giving me a look like I'm wrong, which is totally cool. That's okay. Our listeners listen to the show mainly because I'm wrong. <laughs> well, Jason, you're probably rarely wrong, but there's always a nuance. And okay. so, um, yes, we uh, are lower in the funnel. Uh, the way I like to think about it is, uh, you know, our predominantly our traditional media is to help you uh, uh, to think about considering brands. And what we think about in shopper marketing is actually helping you choose which brand is right for you. Uh, what I would tell you, though, is with the uh, onset of our retailers um, now developing and owning their own media platforms, they're asking us to actually do traditional, what we would consider upper funnel consideration work through their owned properties, uh, as well as consideration, which often is a little bit lower in the funnel. Okay, that's fair enough. When they, um, But so in your mind, um, when a, a wholesale partner asks you to partner on a top of funnel activation because that's partnering with a, a retailer, that's still shopper marketing, even though it might be out of home or something like that? Not or, necessarily. Okay. So, you know, our biggest customers, uh, such as Walmart, et cetera, they're now developing their own programmatic media buying, and, and it's you're buying an audience. Oh, for sure. So uh, yeah. they're delivering uh, an audience segment that may be, may be right for your brand, and so that's considered, you know, top of the funnel. Yeah, fair enough. I, I guess... In my simple mind, I'm picturing like, uh, in, and in my own defense, like uh, when I see a Coke ad uh, during NASCAR, it's reminding me that uh, I'm thirsty. Um, but most of the sharp shopper marketing activations there's are hitting someone when there's already some higher buying intent. Fair enough. Okay, um, I'll give it to you. I guess I appreciate it. I'll take <laughs> I'll take half credit. Um, you are very credible in the space, so I don't want to. You know, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. Um, and to prove that, you alluded a little bit to your Procter and Gamble experience. Um, despite your incredible youth, you you have a storied career in the shopper marketing space. And listeners always like to get the kind of picture of how you came to this role. Can you give us your background a little bit? For sure. So I would say I'm a pioneer in the field of shopper marketing. Uh, one day I was sitting in my chair at Procter & Gamble as a sales leader uh, who apparently had some marketing tendencies. 
because <clears throat> I was developing some uh, campaigns with my customers, and uh, P&G decided uh, that they needed to start developing a new competency. And what was really driving that is our retailers, up until then, uh, pretty much were untargeted. It was kind of anybody with a buck in their pocket is who they would go after. But our the retailer customers were quickly building uh, marketing teams and insights and actually finally leveraging all the data um, that you know they had access to for years and years and never did anything with. And so with that, um, we needed to actually be able to have people who could partner with our customers' marketing uh, counterparts. And so they said, we can take people who have sales background and understand how to work with our customers, or we can take someone with a marketing background, or we can try to find some people that have kind of a foot in uh, both camps. And so I fell into the latter category, um, started out. Uh, my first uh, customer was Albertson. So one day I was the sales lead. The next day I was the shopper marketer and uh, figured my way out uh, as Albertson's was figuring it out, uh, moved on and eventually led all of shopper marketing for North America, Canada, and Puerto Rico for P&G. And I kind of got to a point in my career where I really, in order to be a true marketer, it's really important that you have agency experience and understand how the the creative process works. Uh, So I made the leap, uh, went to Leo Burnett Arc and led global shopper marketing for them for five years. Uh, That included working with clients on helping them build their own shopper marketing departments, as well as building the agency's capabilities. Uh, Eventually led new business uh, for Arc, and uh, one of my clients was Coca-Cola. And uh, they had been recruiting me for quite a while to make the move to Atlanta and help them lead. And it's the best job ever. Um, I I didn't even realize that I had been positioning myself for this uh, my whole career, and I couldn't be happier. I feel like that's often the case with great careers is that in retrospect, that it's, they seem totally sort of obvious and, and, uh, but, but in the moment it's, it's, it's not always as well planned as it looks like in hindsight. Well, it's important in CPG world that you're, um, that you feel really loyal and, uh, part of the brand, um, and I actually started drinking Diet Coke when I was 16 years old. I can honestly say I've never drank a, never drank a Pepsi unless under total duress. <laughs> uh, Wait, and- what's that other brand? Sorry. <laughs> Um, so anyway, it just uh, the other funny thing is uh, when I was at Leo Burnett Arc uh, in this global role, I actually used to bring back uh, empty Coke cans from other countries, and my daughter had a Coke can connect collection. Oh my god! And so uh, when I accepted the job, she uh, and she actually, by the way, is a shopper marketer as well. So it, it's totally in my blood and in her blood. And uh, so she actually uh, did a post on on Insta saying, you know, my mom finally said yes to a company that we probably have been the fabric of our, you know, entire life. So it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of people at Coca-Cola that have a very similar story. It's a very, uh, it's an amazing brand that, uh, evokes a lot of emotions and a lot of people have a lot of, uh, some of the best memories in their life are with a Coca-Cola in hand. That is awesome. And I assume then that your daughter was okay moving from Chicago to Atlanta? Uh, actually, no. So oh. she's actually staying in Chicago. Oh, okay. uh, she's got her own life. Uh, and she's a shopper marketer at Tracy Locke. And uh, she's helping the, the cause with some other uh, partners and uh, getting married uh, next fall. Oh, my God. That's very cool. Yeah. And there really are only, at most, second-generation shopper marketers because, for your point, it's not that old of a discipline. So that, that's awesome. That is true. In fact, I only know of three kind of second generation uh, shopper marketers in the industry. So it's funny when she was interviewing, you know, they were asking her about things and she knew about FSIs and NCAPs and they're like, oh my gosh. I mean, it's a a world that has its own language and my phone is filled with pictures of NCAPs and displays and digital media and that's what she grew up with. 
I, I love it. I feel like I have to, we have to get a couple of clarifying points out here. So sure. Leo Burnett is uh, uh, now owned by Publicis Group, uh, my my employer. And uh, there are a lot of people at Leo that think you have to go to Coke, not because it was a dream job, but because you are going to have to work with me. <laughs> so. Well, let's see. How do I clarify that question? Uh, it is a honor and privilege to work with uh, someone who does a podcast about stuff that people actually in our industry rarely gets talked about. So you're filling a need in the marketplace, so I'm going to give you that. Well, thank you for that. And then uh, in your bio, you, I think you covered a bunch of the important things. Uh, one that you uh, humbly skipped. Uh, so I live in Chicago. Uh, there's a, a great trade association that's based in Chicago in our industry, the um, point of purchase at, or I think it's changed the uh, ensemble IQ. Thank you. Ensemble yes. IQ um, had a couple iterations as the industry has evolved, um, but they have a great hall of fame. So I like to take my four year old to the hall of fame in Chicago on weekends. And you have your own wing as a hall of fame member uh, at ensemble IQ, which is pretty cool. Uh, so congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. You know, it's always funny. Your, your children are always uh, humble you. So uh, I was on the front cover of the, you know, Path to Purchase magazine. And so, uh, you know, I proudly brought, brought it home, shared it with my husband and my son, who's 16 at the time. And uh, he's like, Mom, will anybody, any of my friends get this magazine in the mail? I'm like, no. He's Seems like, unlike. okay, I need money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, you could send it to him. <laughs> I guess. No, I mean, it, it is an honor to be recognized as, as Hall of Fame in the industry. And um, I think uh, what I'm most proud of is in my time within the industry, um, I really want to help uh, encourage uh, new marketers to learn about this space because it is a part of the marketing mix that is, I would honestly say, takes even more discipline than a traditional marketing role because you really have to blend the equities of the brand and the retailer at the same time. But what is required is you have to have a love for retail. And uh, any, you know, shopper marketer worth their salt has uh, loves retail, whether that's, uh, you know, brick and mortar or digital. And so uh, once you uh, introduce people to this idea, then of this whole new part of marketing that they didn't know exist, uh, they're hooked. Uh, I totally agree, and that's awesome. Uh, I have to say one of the things that's interesting to me in your role is, like, you, you've mentioned digital a number of times. Digital is a significant component of the role. Yep. And the reason I say that's interesting is because, like, of all the categories that have been penetrated by e-commerce, like, grocery, where a lot of your products sold, is not very highly penetrated yet. I would argue it's it's uh, having its moment right now. Yep. Um, and uh, you have a relatively low average sales price product. And so there, there's a school of thought that, like, man, digital for that kind of product is much tougher than apparel or consumer electronics or something like that. Like, um, like have you found it's hard to get people at Coke excited and engaged about digital or they, they jump in with both feet? What's the... So I, I guess we need to kind of separate digital versus e-com, right? Yeah. So from a digital perspective, uh, we are all hands on deck. In fact, uh, we just uh, uh, put a new role in place. Uh, he's actually here. He spoke at the conference this morning, Brian Sappington, who leads our digital integration um, office. And it is more about 
uh, as we were talking about the kind of upper funnel, lower funnel, you know, driving considerations. So, you know, as we has as we have moved into need states um, for our consumers and how they shop, it's really important. We feel like we're actually uh, filling a need that digital can help bring awareness to. So, hydration is one of the you know preeminent um, need states from a total wellness perspective uh, and even from a beauty perspective. And so if we can help uh, shoppers understand the, the value in, in drinking a higher pH product with smart water and that we have an antioxidant and the way to reach them is not, it, you. yes, we want to have a display in store, but we need to reach them where they're at. So they're at Soul Cycle, they're at the you know, um, uh, they're getting a facial and, and finding all those places and spaces um, that digital can deliver to help them bring awareness to the solutions our products can bring to their lives. Um, that's awesome. Can you share any examples of like a particular digital initiative that you guys are like or are proud of at Coke? Uh, yeah, so there's a couple um, that I'm particularly proud of. So uh, one is with Walgreens. So uh, we had identified a need with Walgreens that they had uh, very low traffic time in a couple of days of the week in the afternoon. And so as we thought about the role of our brands and, uh, you know, particularly a 20-ounce Coca-Cola cold, there's a no better pickup uh, in the afternoon. And so if we could drive shoppers digitally to uh, buy not only one, but, you know, a, a nice offer, a buy one, get one free on a, a nice cold beverage in the afternoon was great. At the same time, we had a national campaign that is um, very well known, which is called our Share a Coke program, where we actually put names on labels of, of uh, people's names, uh, proper names. And and so we were able to put all of that together, and it was a share a Coke via a happy hour program at Walgreens. So Walgreens loved it because it drove traffic to their stores. Our shoppers loved it because it was uh, reminded them that they could uh, get a quick afternoon pickup, and it was an opportunity to buy a Coke for themselves and then share one with a friend by finding their name. Uh, that is very cool. Uh, and that feels like that requires some tight integration between you guys and the retail partner. Yes. Like, how does the, uh, if you can share, like, how does the data work there? Like, is that, are you primarily targeting people from a Walgreens list? Yes. So it's both. Yep. Uh, so uh, we, we work in conjunction with uh, Walgreens so we can leverage their own properties. So uh, we could use their um, social as well as, um, uh, email, so they of course have a very robust balance rewards program, so they know their shoppers and what they're buying, and uh, they're able to uh, appropriately without um, you know uh, worrying about any IP issues, but to target them uh, where they're most receptive. Uh, the other thing is that we were also able to. Uh, look at weather. And so if it was uh, getting particularly hot outside, so you would get an email delivered uh, in your inbox if you were already a Walgreens Balance Rewards winner. Uh, you know, it's going to be hot out this afternoon. Um, you know, share an ice cold Coke with a friend and, and share happiness. Uh, that, is, that is very cool. Um, you know, you kind of alluded earlier to like, how important digital influence sales are, and I'm, I'm assuming significantly more important than actual e-commerce sales in, yes. in the beverage space at the moment um, and probably forever. Yes, um, in certain categories. So yeah. less so in sparkling, more so in, you know, traditional like case pack water. Sure. Oh, yeah, that I would I could totally see that. Um, I also think it's interesting. So we have this conversation in brands across a wide variety of categories, but, you know, uh, legacy brands traditionally primarily distribute through wholesale um, and now many are starting to kick off these first direct-to-consumer initiatives, and yep. not necessarily to re 
replace wholesale or really even competitive with wholesale, but just to do interesting things where they get to have a more direct relationship with the customer. Um, and I like so I've noticed you you guys do have a direct to consumer e commerce site. Um, yeah. So I want to talk about that. But it also occurred to me, in a way, you guys have been selling direct to consumer longer than people realize. So for example, my office at Leo Burnett, every floor has a Coke freestyle machine. And I, I assume, uh, and oh, by the way, there's integration with my app and that freestyle machine. So when I do my custom mix of Dasani plain and lemon, lemon lime, I think it is, um, using my app, like you know who I am and how much of, uh, of your product I'm consuming. Absolutely. Uh, so the freestyle machine is all uh, digital AI enabled, and we use it the data to inform um, what do shoppers want, what do consumers want. So uh, uh, on the main stage this morning, you heard our uh, Brian talk about our new Coke Orange Vanilla product. Uh, it's been the first flavor in many years from Coca-Cola, and uh, it was derived from the fact is that was one of the number one pairings that uh, consumers were using on the freestyle machine. So instead of, you know, a traditional approach to flavors where, you know, the scientists mix up some different flavor portfolios, you go to a focus group and et cetera, it, this is what shoppers already wanted. And we weren't offering it to them in a bottle can variant, and now we do, and it's been an instant success. That's awesome. And it, I, I feel like that's um, a good, I don't know if I'd say defense necessarily, but... Um, you know, a big trend at the moment is retailers launching their own brands. Yes. Target's launched a big uh, brand in the grocery category today, and they, yep. they've generally been super successful um, with their own brand. And one of the things that's scary about that is they tend to have a lot more customer intimacy. They talk to the Target guest every day, and they know her preferences. So when they build a product, they have access to all that data. If you're a pure wholesaler, you you know, you talk about the consumer, but really your customer is the retailer. And so... Um, the, it, it's interesting that you guys are, are in this better position where you've sort of had a direct relationship with a lot of customers for a, a significant period of time. So you're on a level playing field with data, at least. Yeah, and uh, uh, <clears throat> a little secret is that uh, the orange vanilla, excuse me, was the number <clears throat> two most uh, flavor variant together. The number one flavors um, is the surprise is coming out this spring. So ah. look forward to a new Coke flavor coming soon. Uh, you could, you know, there's very few listeners. You could just tell it <laughs> right now, and it probably, probably wouldn't spread. No, nope, you'll have to invite me back. I, I would invite you back anyway, but that that'll be another reason. Um, I feel like I I got to do a Coke event, and um, you did. Thank you so much. It was great. Oh, that was, was super fun. He was uh, awesome for all the listeners out there. He did great. Yeah, as my wife will quickly tell you, uh, short doses of Jason is the way to consume Jason. <laughs> Um, Fair but, enough. <laughs> yeah. Usually my wife's very unimpressed with my career, but her and her whole family are from Michigan, um, and you had Desmond Howard at this event, um, which is uh, a beloved figure, of course, to, to everyone from Michigan. And he was humble bragging about he, him having his own mix on the freestyle machine. Yep. Um, and he, he alleged... It was the top mix everywhere in the country except the armpit of America, Columbus, Ohio, which is a Michigan shot at Ohio State. Speaking of Michigan, yeah. uh, we actually have uh, Sure Coke bottles available in the Michigan market right now. So if you're a Go Blue fan, you can actually find Coke bottles with your uh, team's logo on it. So go find those. Yeah, uh, I like I have like all these more personalized products. Like I, it's exciting uh, slash 
it's like it's a big operational challenge for you guys. Like all that that inventory and yeah, um, personalization at scale. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more of that, um, and that uh, is going to be interesting. That actually is um, kind of a, a good transition. Uh, so I often talk about one of the potential challenges Amazon might have. Like they're always, you know, they have so much traction. They're doing so well in everything. They're, but, you know, in particular, their distribution system is really designed to, like, have a ton of something and get it close to the customer and be able to deliver it really efficiently. And as the world goes to more personalized products and fragmented inventory, a lot of the big investment in warehouses that Amazon's made aren't perfectly suited for, like, on-demand products and highly personalized products. Um, long preamble, it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show without talking about Amazon. Sure. Uh, Scott's not here, but he'd be very angry at me if I didn't bring it up. Um, you guys are on the platform. Of course. Um, and uh, was that a controversial decision at all at Amazon? No, it was. No. Uh, you know, we we want to be wherever our customers are. Um, certainly, we are a bottler distributed um, network model. Um, so that does bring some um, interesting uh, implications. Uh, and how do we ensure that the, you know, and we have 64 different distinct bottlers um, that help us distribute products throughout the country. And so how do you think through a lot of those logistics, um, which, uh, you know, we, we work on every day. Um, so it wasn't controversial. I think what's interesting is that um, uh, probably some of our brands that you least associate with Coca-Cola are probably the ones where we're doing the most innovation with on Amazon. So if you look at the work that we're doing um, with, um, with Smart Water um, and actually integrating with Alexa and voice activation uh, or voice-enabled uh, ordering, uh, we're doing quite a bit with our tea portfolio uh, with Gold Peak Tea. Uh, and frankly, honesty quite a bit as well. So again, some of the brands where uh, shoppers are interested in um, uh, really learning more about, uh, they're really, ratings and reviews are critically important. Uh, those are the brands that we tend to focus on on that platform. Yeah, and I, you know, that makes total sense because you, like, in a traditional brick and mortar store, there's finite shelf space and, you know, there's significant advantage to incumbents and you, you probably more so than any other brand in the store. Yep. Uh, but a lot of challenger brands like tend to do better against yep. incumbents on Amazon where there's yep. unlimited shelf space and you tend to sell on the attributes of the product more than pure brand recognition. For sure. And so it makes total sense that the the sort of things that are closer to challenger brands in your portfolio yes. would uh, fit much better on that platform. Yeah. Um, so we, I mentioned at the show that we're at Grocery Shop. Uh, yes. You did a presentation this morning, and I think the title, uh, Leading Edge Marketing Tactics, Advances in Shopper Marketing, Data, and Beyond. Ooh. Exactly. Once again, I'm hoping you got paid by the word. Um, can you give listeners a little like recap of what, what that talk was about? Yeah. So, uh, there was a, we had a panel discussion. Uh, so, uh, we had, uh, Charlie Chapel from, um, the Hershey company. And then, uh, we also had Rusha from Albertsons and, you know, we really, it was, it was talking about how do we think about the role of these leading edge capabilities within shopper marketing? So the role of data, the role of, uh, media, mixed media or, you know, measurement. Um, so, you know, Risha from Albertsons was talking more about how they're building their IT infrastructure and how they're thinking about um, their partnerships and how they're thinking about uh, media. 
And, you know, Charlie and I were, were thinking through how do we, you know, we kind of talk, talk about the, you know, frenemies model, right? So we're, we're friends with our customers and they're very important to us and they help us market our brands. They help us provide a, a, a wonderful place for people to go buy our brands. Uh, but they're now asking us to uh, be their media partners and they're asking for significant investments, um, you know, that weren't even on the table, you know, even two years ago. And the reality is uh, there aren't more monies <laughs> available, right? So it's a little bit of a shell game of, you know, trying to figure out if we had five places to market our brands and now we have 50 places to market our brands. Um, how do you choose the places and spaces to go? Because if you go too small with a buy, it makes no impact. Um, but we can't, you know, we can't not do uh, media with every one of our key customers. So there's no better time to be in chapter marketing because it really, it, it in, uh, in your discipline, you have to be very focused on data. You have to be focused on who your audience is and creating audience segments with our all that rich data that our customers have. Um, and so I think... Our marketing is even better than it ever was before. I mean, it was kind of a layup before. I mean, particularly for Coca-Cola, you know, we, we, with the Bottler Network, you could go in, build a big display of Coke, and it would sell. And and it still does today, but there's so many other intricacies uh, that we need to consider. Um, and that's what makes it exciting yeah, no, and interesting I, every day. I totally agree. I, I like to say that the, like yesterday's playbook won't work today. Right. And to me, that makes it exciting because we have to test and learn and do new things, which is like your your daughter's not going to be able to follow your <laughs> your playbook. That is exactly right. She already isn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, prob- if she's listening, good good job. Uh, the I am curious make good th- choices, honey. Yeah, <laughs> you could take that in a wide variety of. That's always good advice. Um, the it it does feel like it's a there is an extra challenge. Like we all know how budgeting works. Like you you know you tend to budget based on. Uh, variation from what you did last year and hey we had this budget last year and we got these kind of results with it and so you know we fight for resources with all our corporate uh, friends and we we get 10 percent more this year um in a space like ours where there's all these new spending opportunities that didn't exist it's really hard like in many cases those opportunities weren't clearly visible when we went through the budgeting process 12 months ago or 10 months ago um is that a challenge at coke like do you, have you guys gotten more agile to like can you transfer dollars mid-year from sort of out-of-home marketing to to these new digital shopper marketing activities and yeah things? there's there's an acronym in coke called sally same as last year yeah right? <laughs> and so uh sally's out the door and uh so we're trying to uh really start from a bottoms-up approach uh that you would do in a traditional uh, brand building, where you start with the foundations of, you know, what is the always on that we need to have for our brands? Uh, and that can look very different from a Coca-Cola than it is to a vitamin water. Uh, and frankly, there's, you know, some brands that um, we're spending less on because they're selling quite well with, <clears throat> you know, because the customer acceptance of the brand is lovely and, uh, you know, they purchase it quite frequently. And so instead of, you know, kind of balancing every brand gets so much, you know, really um, doing that deep dive analysis to say which brands uh, and which brands are we being challenged uh, by our competitors? And so which ones do we need to lean into? And then as we look at that marketing mix, um, are we driving trial? Are we driving conversion? Are we driving awareness? And so uh, if it's a, a uh, we have a new brand um, coming out, which again is a secret and uh, invite me back once it launches and I'll share it with you. 
but it's a brand new brand. And so we're going to have to be all in the first six months just on awareness. And so there are certain customers um, that can help us drive that awareness more quickly than others. And so it would be part of our awareness marketing mix. So Sally, unfortunately, is out the door. Sally's out the door. A lovely person, but not a good strategy. Yes. All right. Um, So instead of uh, talking about last year, let's talk about the future for a second. Sure. Um, I like to say a lot that we're sort of in the first inning of this whole digital disruption. Um, And so if you were to put your futurist hat on, when you come back on the show five years from now, Mm. like, do you have some vision for how this whole practice of shopper marketing is likely to evolve? Is it digital versions of all the same analog stuff we used to do, or is it way different? So I've actually set forth a vision um, for our system. Uh, It's a 2020-2025 vision. Uh, and those dates are based on the metrics of uh, 20% of all uh, grocery shopping will be um, click and collect uh, next year in about three months, right? And uh, by 2025 is, I think, when we'll see the tipping point for e-commerce, particularly for our category. And so with that um, comes what are the capabilities and what are the focus areas going to be for shopper marketing for the next uh, five years. Uh, so I have a pretty defined sense, and, and uh, what I would say is, uh, it's partially driven by um, thinking through our customers as true media partners. And what that requires is just because they have customer media available for us to buy doesn't mean that we're going to buy it at a certain percentage level of our sales or Sally or anything. You know, We're going to actually treat them as we would other media partners, and there's requirements that they need to fill in order to be considered. Um, some of them are, uh, are meeting those requirements faster than others. Uh, but if they want to be, if they want to play in the big leagues in media, then they need to you know, be able to fill the same requirements. At the same time, our media partners also uh, enable um, certain merchandising levers within the store. So we always have to keep that in mind as well. Um, so anyway, it's uh, and part of that is that we're actually building in um, customer media capabilities um, within our team. So people who understand uh, both the media side of it as well as what those customer requirements are. And we are in the trenches every day trying to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, so I want to unpack that a little bit because that's super interesting to me. So the the first thing, and you tell me, again, don't hesitate to tell me if you have a different perspective, but early day shopper marketing, a lot of the the activities, particularly in-store activities, uh, we would help fund stuff that happened in retail. Mm -hmm. Um, But that source of funding, it was was always sort of part of a trade agreement, right? Sure. uh, You mean the twist your arm agreement? Yeah, we're going to buy X amount of product from you, and you're going to give me 1.5% of that spend back as co-op to invest in my store circular or in-store displays. Um, And whenever, frankly, the retailer would come with some new initiative, it was really a zero-sum game for the brand, right? Like, okay, we'll take dollars out of this other thing we were giving to you and instead put it in to this new thing. And we look at that that co-op fund or that merchandising accrual fund or however you treated it as kind of a cost of doing business with that retailer. Um, but going forward, it sounds like you're thinking it much more from a performance basis. Like, how hard is that dollar working? Is that the smartest place I could put that dollar, or could I put that dollar somewhere else? Absolutely, and ensuring that we're involving our customers in those conversations. So, uh, you know, the some of the traditional levers, the circular, right? Um, 
over the past, I don't know, probably eight to 10 years, the cost to having your brand featured in a circular hasn't dramatically decreased, but the amount of circulation the reach has, yeah. <laughs> has significantly decreased. But for those, you know, in our world, I mean, the role of the circular is not just what happens in the newspaper. It also drives all these operational, um, you know, uh, priorities and what gets, you know, merchandised, et cetera. So understanding that, but then going back to the customer and saying, you know, we could do a spend here, but wouldn't you prefer that we, like Walgreens, help you drive trips during a time that is, you know, lower traffic for you, actually doubles the basket because they went from buying one product to two and builds loyalty. Yeah, and I would also argue that campaign you mentioned was incremental to Walgreens. It brought new customers into the door. It drove more footfall. Yes. Those appearances in that circular are probably shifting sales from another brand, which is good for you. Right. But it actually doesn't help Walgreens all that much. Yeah, and if it's not growing category sales, then neither of us should be pursuing it. Exactly. Uh, So I wanted to unpack another part of your vision. You kind of talked about... Uh, the shift to grocery pickup yes. um, happening very quickly. Yes. Um, and I, I, we talk a lot about it on the show. I'm very bullish. It feels like I've just talked to so many customers and done so many studies, and people just really appreciate the efficiency of ordering from soccer practice and having the, the trunk get full on the way home without having to take your kids out of the car and all those things. Yeah. Um, but then it sounded like you were saying, uh, and further down the road, Home delivery will will you know sort of catch on like so in your mind is curbside pickup sort of an intermediate step and eventually like we'll be getting a lot of this stuff home or do you just see them both continuing to get more popular over time? It, it's the latter. I, okay. I see them both um, continuing in popularity, particularly for the beverage category. Um, the our brands play a very important role in online grocery pickup because oftentimes they're brands that are built uh, uh, in bulk. So you're buying a 12 pack or a case pack of water, et cetera. And they actually help build the basket to get you to your delivery uh, or your even your you know pickup minimum. Uh, and there are things that uh, customers really want to stock up on, and you know they just dread you know pushing the fifty you know pound cart around the store, right? So uh, we definitely have an amazing uh, role to play in online grocery pickup, and, and e-commerce will continue to grow. The interesting thing is the role of instant consumption. Uh, in a click and collect uh, environment. And so, uh, you know, there have been some kind of gloom and doom uh, studies around, you know, what's happening to the front end, uh, you know, at stores for categories such as ours, as well as candy and magazines and other things. Uh, but we just uh, did an internal study, and it, it, there's some surprising statistics. Uh, and that is that of the people who place an online grocery pickup order, uh, over 76% of them actually still make a trip into the store. And the reasons for that are multiple. One is they forgot to put something on the list. They ordered it at soccer practice, and then on the way they realized they forgot to put something on the list, or someone else in their, uh, in their home uh, said, hey, can you add this to the list? Um, another reason is some people are, uh, really still want to pick their own produce. Uh, they're not, um, they're not confident that someone else can pick the produce better than they can. And getting a ice cold beverage or snack for the ride home is the third reason that they still go in store. So we still need to have a presence with our traditional front end, um, coolers, but we're adapting what those look like. So instead of having a, you know, a large, whatever, four or five foot, you know, refrigerated door uh, as you're waiting in line in the self-checkout area, because typically if you're running in just to get two to three items from your online grocery pickup order, that's where you're going. So we've actually um, 
design smaller coolers that fit right under the self-service um, register and then get drive a call to action to uh, pick one up for the ride home. Yeah, it, it's super interesting. And I, I heard Brian talk about that this morning yeah. um, in, in his keynote. It, it's interesting because in other categories that got really impacted by e-commerce, um, click and collect became super important. Traditionally, it's not curbside pickup. It's in-store pickup. And it's well known um, that there were incremental purchases that were driven by that. Like I think Macy's talks about a like 120% you know, uh, run rate of the click and collect. So you're, you're finding another 20% spend when you have to walk through the Macy's to pick up your, your Macy's purchases. Sure. Um, and it sounds like that's sometimes happening in, in the grocery category as well. And you, you did a good job of articulating the reasons. Um, I have a feeling that, like again, it is still the first inning we're going to figure out some other impulse experiences for this curbside, right? Like, so at today, uh, a lot of curbside is not very robust behind the scenes. Like there's people running around the store and picking and trying to get it out in front of the store just before you show up. And, sure. and like, frankly, like there's a lot of imperfect executions, but as this gets bigger, retailers are really investing in it. Right. And so now we're starting to see like, Hey, let's, have automated picking and micro fulfillment centers in our parking lots. And um, it's going to be increasingly possible to very easily expose you to these impulse purchases while you're picking up your groceries and load them in your trunk with the pre-ordered stuff without even having to go in the store. So I, I hope some of that impulse comes back in uh, what you didn't talk about, which I suspect you also benefit from is, so traditionally, the argument would be, oh, impulse purchases go way down when you order online, uh, pick up curbside. Um, and for your point, maybe they don't go down quite as much as everyone thinks. Um, but there also uh, is a higher AOV. People tend to order more stuff in different formats. And per your point, um, I didn't want to get the big case of water if I had to schlep it through the store and load it in the car and do all that. But if someone's doing it for me, I'd rather get a full week supply than a day's supply. And so like you like the I feel like there's a yin and yang. I feel like we have to work harder to keep get that unplanned purchase. Yeah. Um but in some ways there's some incremental plan purchases we capture by adding these new new amenities for customers. The other thing too is, you know, one of the consistent trends in the beverage industry is is the blurring of subcategories. So, you know, there used to be sparkling, you know, soda and there used to be water and now there's sparkling water and, you know, all the category blurring. And so uh, the more we can um, partner with our customers to kind of have offers that allow you to kind of mix and match, um, you know, different brands, uh, I think uh, Click and Collect actually enables that. So if you were going to buy one variant of a product and then, uh, you know, you get a multiples offer and then you're exposed to some other flavors or variants that you weren't aware of, shoppers actually are very appreciative and they they actually like having, you know, variety within uh, their selection. Nice. So in a divided household like mine, <laughs> yeah. my wife and I can each get our preferred. But I like that. Yes. Um, so one, one la- we're coming up on time, but I, uh, one last question. Um, so there's also an awful lot of Coke product that's sold through on-prem. Yes. Um, so restaurants and QSRs and all these things. Yes. And one of the interesting things to me is those categories are also starting to get disrupted by digital. Like I'm start, you know, 20% of all restaurant meals are consumed at home. So I'm ordering them from DoorDash or Grubhub at Applebee's. I'm ordering off of a touchscreen instead of talking to a server. Yes. In my mind, you guys have the 
the expertise from the digital shelf that like you could play a big role in helping uh, you know, do the best job of, of selling those Coke products in that restaurant space. Are you guys getting a chance to play in that space at all? Or is that something you could envision happening? Absolutely. We're looking at everything. So, you know, we're even thinking about, do we sponsor the Grubhub drivers or do we sponsor the Instacart, you know, shoppers? And, and uh, because they're actually, uh, you know, uh, when I was uh, living in Chicago, I shopped at Meyer and I used to use the shipped platform. Yep. And for a, you know, 20 minute period, I had this very intimate relationship with the shopper and she was actually saying, should I switch this or that out? Or, uh, you know, and then when she came to my door, so, you know, we just need to think about all of the people that, uh, and all the touch points within the consideration process and who can, uh, help match our shoppers with the beverage that's right for them. That's interesting. That's a fascinating point because like... Traditionally, when I bought those beverages in the the grocery store, it was a self-service experience. Um, But now, as a result of some of these experiences, it's almost a sales-assisted experience. And so, yeah, you you think about some of the best practices in sales-assisted environments, and part of it is evangelizing the heck out of those those associates that could influence the purchase. That's that's really smart, and that's going to be a great place to leave it because it's happened again. We've blown through our allotted time. Uh, April, in the event that listeners want to get in touch with you, are you on the interweb somewhere? Like, what's the best way to follow April? Yes. So I do have a Twitter handle, at April's Insights, but frankly, I don't check it very often. So. <laughs> I heard you use it mainly to follow me. I know I should be better at it, but I'm not. So frankly, the best way to, to get after me is uh, through LinkedIn. I, I really have yeah, chosen that as my preferred um, platform. So feel free to link in with me um, and glad to continue the conversation. Uh, terrific. I will uh, put the, your LinkedIn um, uh, URL in the show notes so people don't have to write it down. Um, but as always, if listeners have enjoyed this show and they want to continue the conversation, they're welcome to jump on uh, our Twitter or our Facebook and um We'll continue the dialogue there. Uh, If this is the show that finally added value to you and uh, helped you in your professional career, uh, the thing we'd most appreciate is you jump on iTunes and finally give us that five-star review you've been teasing us with. Uh, April, it's been a a real privilege to talk to you today. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 